1: Hello. This is the Brickflix Frightfest Preview Series
0: 2019. Welcome to
1: the Brickflix Podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and I may as well say it, because it is the first of my Frightfest Preview Series for 2019. So welcome, Abigail Blackmore. Hello. How the devil are you?
2: I'm good, thank you. I was out with the Fright Festers yesterday, so were you. Yes. You left early, though.
1: Yes, my wife had um, the Leighton Stone Arch Trail, which is a sort of local event where I live in London. Um, My wife's shop was part of it, so I wanted to catch the the end of it.
2: Fair enough. Um, I stayed till about half past ten. Oh, you did well. Yeah, I did. They all went off to some goth club, and I thought i better get—I I should escape.
1: <laughs> I saw—I saw, I saw Paul, Mac, Paul McEvoy, one of the four, um, four people who, who sort of run, who are FrightFest, I suppose. Um, he posted there was some goth thing going on later, I was thinking, my word.
2: I know.
1: <laughs> well, look, we've not come to talk about um, our various uh, admins and night knives of London. We're here to talk about your film, which is going to be well, uh, European premiering at FrightFest. Tales from the Lodge. Do you want to give people a brief synopsis to what that is?
2: Yeah, it's um, a group of friends, five friends from the university who are now around the age of about 40, um, are gathering for one night to scatter the ashes of their old friend who drowned in the nearby lake about three years earlier. Mm -hmm. And one of them brings along his new girlfriend and that causes some trouble in the group.
1: Indeed, indeed. Now, I'd already I contested before we did this just to say I'm am going to do my utmost to be not Mister Spoiler, so it's all on you, um, okay. because there are twists and turns in this which I'd hate to uh, I'd hate to reveal uh, for people who might who might listen to this before they see your film, because um, I, I, I I went in as cold as I could to be honest with you, and, it was, and I was really glad I did. Um, so what we'll do is we will uh, we'll talk about the hopefully. We'll try and focus on the process of of you making this film as much as anything else, and we'll talk about the casting, and we'll talk about the music. Um, But first, I suppose we should say, uh, when can people see it at Frightfest?
2: Uh, We are on the Monday, the final day, 26th of August, and we're the middle film in the main screen, so we're sandwiched between Satanic Panic and Rabid, which is very exciting. So I think we're on about 4 o'clock. They haven't released the exact times yet, but it's around 4 o'clock.
1: Cool. Well, we'll put, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can, uh, can check that off on their diaries and gnaw uh, on their fingernails and go, oh, it's a clash with someone else and everybody else can, and you can decide them. But on the big screen, eh? Not a bad yeah, start yeah. for Fright Fest for you.
2: Not at all. No, so, and it means, because it's on the last day, I can just enjoy Fright Fest, you know, you know before my film shows, So everybody can anticipate my film, but nobody's seen it yet. So I don't have to worry about comments or reviews. I can just enjoy the festival. Yeah, you can, can't you? Yeah,
1: pretty good. And you, and you, and I'm i guessing, because I've seen you at Fright Fest most years, you're a regular, aren't you?
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's my favourite festival, and it's my hometown festival, and I love horror, so... Yeah, and I've had a short film there before, mm. uh, Vintage Blood, and that was back in 2015. Right. Which we made, actually, as a way to ha- um, help raise the money for Tales from the Lodge. Blind to test me as a director and show, you know, hopefully show the world I can direct um, because I hadn't really done anything official before that. I'd made lots of shorts and yeah. guerrilla style stuff that I'd just put onto YouTube um, and I felt, me and the producer and I both felt that I needed to do an official job as a director. So, I wrote a short, we made that and the aim was to make a short film and get it into FrightFest. Yeah. So that worked. And I was then... going to
1: say there's a, there's a, t- there's a box ticked.
2: I know. And um, and then also to make the short and to get the money for the film, the, the feature. So that worked too, and we got it into FrightFest. So so far so good.
1: Keep a cap on that bottle with the magic potion you've got there. I know. Don't don't lose it all.
2: It's all about knowing <laughs> what you want and having a goal and aiming for the goal.
1: Fantastic. Right. Well, there's 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 Piece of advice number one that we've uh, we've managed to get out here, so I'm glad about that. Um, so you've you've written and directed this, yeah. Um, and before we get into that, I just want—I know we talked about this yesterday, but I think for the purpose of the podcast, it'd be good. This will premiere at South by Southwest early yeah. this year. And for the filmmakers out there who are looking at that kind of foreign, foreign, exotic thing called South by Southwest, do you want to do you want to give us a brief sort of insight into what the experience is like of uh, will premiering at somewhere so prestigious?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it is, it's a huge festival and very cool festival, very widely known and very widely respected. So Mm -hmm. that was great. You know, just being accepted in itself is just amazing. Mm. Um, The festival itself is huge. I mean, it's got so many different parts to it. The film festival is just a small, it's like 20% of the actual festival. Right. Um, You're walking around town meeting people and generally then they're, they're here for you know they're there for the interactive festival or the music or the comedy um or games so um it's quite strange because austin itself has seemed, seems to have doubled since the last time I was there back in 2010 i think it's, the city itself has grown so much that yeah. and and south by southwest has grown with it um so it was we felt like a you know a small a small cog in that machine but um we had a great response. The festival were fantastic. They were really behind us. And, um, yeah, it was just amazing to meet the other filmmakers in the midnight section. Um, and we, we screened three times and had great audiences. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a surreal experience, I have to say.
1: And was that was, I mean, presumably then, was that your first time to see it with an audience then?
2: Yes, that was strange. Yes. So, um, it was amazing because, there was some stuff in the sound mix that I had never noticed before. <laughs> so that was, that was great to hear the full sound mix for the first time, especially in the Alamo Drafthouse cinemas, because they're fantastic. They're new. So
1: give us, give us an insight. What, what sort of things were you hearing that you hadn't been fully aware of then?
2: Um, I think some background noise and, you know, we've got quite a big main cast. There's yeah. six. So um maybe some chatter in the background, but not bad stuff, good yeah, stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh no, no, it sounded like good stuff. I just wondered what what, what, what sort yeah, of comes okay. out of something you've had obviously such a close hand
2: in. Yeah, no, I can't think of anything in particular, but I think the sound mix the sound post sound guys um did a, such an amazing job and they were adding stuff yeah. for texture that I wasn't really aware of that it works really well. So I think that was mainly it. It was the texture of the film. You know, there's lots and lots of layers in the sound mix that maybe I wasn't so familiar with. i
1: um, By the way, I'm loving this about modern. It's one of the booms of of modern cinema, I suppose, is that the the sort of sound kit they've now got for uh, for showing movies. Um, my, my my favorite one was um, of late was Hereditary, where yeah. I turned around to tell someone to shut up, and it was the film. <laughs> It was the background noises of the film fucking with my head and there was nobody to tell to shut up. Can you stop
2: chopping your head off? Oh, sorry, it's the film.
1: Yeah, honestly. It's like, I mean, I think, I think you know, you think 20 years ago or so, you just wouldn't have had that kind of pinpoint accuracy about how the sound is designed or how that sound is received, sorry. I'm sure it's designed well all the time, but uh, how it's received. Now, you wrote and directed this. It's, it's, um, it's a portmanteau of sorts, but it's kind of got a really strong sort of, I'd hate to call it a wraparound story because it's a story, um, interlinking all the stories. So do you want to take us from that point of the kernel of the idea that you started with that set you off the road to write Tales from the Lunch?
2: Yeah, I originally intended to write what became the first, no, the second story um, of the five as a feature. So it's a it's a demon, it's a, it's a possession story. mm uh, it's about a couple whose marriage has got very stale, and the the husband is very worried that his wife is about to leave him, and he's trying to find ways to keep her interested. and He takes her on a ghost tour. I should do. Yes. <laughs> and he, I don't know how much to say about this actually, but anyway, um, let's just say she becomes more interested in him after the tour. Yes. So that was the first. That was. An idea I had that I wanted to write as a feature, mm-hmm. and I started writing it, and then I thought actually it's more of a short. I don't know why. I, I just thought this feels like it's more of a short film. And um, I do love a portmanteau, so I thought maybe I should write a portmanteau. I, I am a big fan of creep show and, and and stuff like that, and tells the unexpected. I know they're not portmanteaus, but you know shorter stories. Yeah,
1: yeah, I know, like one act
2: plays. Absolutely, yeah. So I thought, well, maybe I should write that. And also, it might be easier to get it made.
0: Hmm.
2: I think back, this was a few years ago Now I was thinking this. So um, it was really a case of going, okay, well, that's my first story. Well, who, who, who would be telling these stories? Well, where would they be? Sitting around a campfire? Why are they there? Well, they're old friends. You know, it, became, it just built hmm. that asking some questions. Why are they there? Who are they? Who are these people? What are their lives like now? Um, and then, yeah, it just went from there, really. So when I met Ed Barrett, our producer, yes, Richard Wiley is our second producer. Um, I sent him the script, and there were only three stories, and he suggested I add two more. So I did the first and the last one. Okay. So that's kind of how it worked, really. So, so
1: quite, pra- so, so in, a, in a sense, quite, quite practical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just sort of appreciating what the, the the way a portmanteau works, so it's like basically, all right, give it a setting to tell the story. Yeah. Um, now,
2: one of yeah, the things—the main story, the the framework story, or whatever—just grew and grew and grew. Okay. And it's look, now about seventy percent of the movie.
1: Yeah, I was going to say because it's one of the things that it was. I mean, I must admit, I, like I say, I went in cold, so I hadn't even read like the um, the IMDb thing that obviously tells you it's a portmanteau, and. It re- watching it, it really wasn't until um, till Laura Fraser starts telling her story, I'm like, "Oh man, we- oh, it's a they support man Because <laughs> I was like, I was in. I just thought, "Oh, a- he's just told a story about why his car went missing or whatever, you know." And I thought that's because too- you know, because we've got the because uh, you know, the-, the early part of the setup is the five people that know each other well and the one the new girlfriend. So that's kind of a classic setup in some senses, and we're kind of mm-hmm. like it's a horror film, so we're like, "Oh, what's uh, what's what's happening? Why, you know." is The Stranger important, is it not? And then suddenly I'm like, oh, right, we're going somewhere else with this. Um, and I began, I was like, so I was glad. I was glad that, uh, I was glad, that I began, <laughs> glad I'm not stupid, for starters. Um, <laughs> uh, so,
2: that one. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, true, sure, yeah, only I can claim it. Um, yeah. So uh, that that leads me on to sort of, in terms of the, the cast you filled it with, um, and and I'm always, I'm always envious from a writing point of view of... Um, being able to do that, can you say it's a big league cast. You've got six characters to play with, which also means you've got six characters to think of. Mm. Which, which, if you do the maths, it's. In fact, I'm not. Going, I was going to do the maths then for a second. Um, mm. I'm trying to think. of the relationships. That is, you've got to manage. Um, I should know this, uh, I, but but it's a lot. You know, all the different people to interact with each other and have the, and what they think of each other and how they. Is a hell of a feat. From a writing point of view and it's one of the things that really zings about this this film is that you feel like you feel like the relationships between each person is is a real one even obviously it's it's a it's a work of fiction to push a story forward
2: that's great that's exactly what was interesting to me about it because you have six characters and you know everyone's different with Different people. Who are you when you're talking to your mum? Who are you when you're talking to the bank manager? You know, everyone has a different relationship with everyone mm. else. That's that made it much more interesting to write and easier to write because you sort of got to know the characters as you're writing, like mm. who, you know, and also I try to define them quite clearly for myself. So, in a, in an almost stereotypical way, and, and that really helped me to. Write the, the, the relationships within the whole group uh, as, as, as couples, but also as friends or, you know, and, and you can instantly go, well, what are the issues between these people? What are the history? What's the history between these two? Mm. And when did she come into the group? Um, how long have they, you know, all that stuff is, is much more fun as a writer than, what I have struggled with a lot with some scripts, which is who are these people? I don't even know who this is. Who am I? Who am I trying to <laughs> create this world for? You know, so, um, I think these characters are, um, you know, you've got the, the couple who are married with three young children who are under eight, I think, mm. who are living that life and are just happy to be. Away from the kids for a night, so they can drink and swear and have some peace and quiet. Yeah. And and then you've got the couple who um, Mackenzie Crook's character is um, has a terminal heart condition and he's on, well, I don't want to give too much away, but he's he's very ill. Mm. And Laura Fraser, his wife, who's basically you know looking after him and 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 has sort of put her life on hold a bit, um, and is a little bit unhappy. And then you've got Paul, who's you know the the, the kind of player, the classic single guy who's brought his girlfriend along, who you know nothing sticks to him. You know he's just he's he's very cool and calm and doesn't take any responsibility for anything. And so when you've got those people, it's just fun to kind of you know, like Johnny Vegas's character. He's he's the one with the three kids. How is he with Paul? Paul's his mate. Paul's fun. He's fun. You see Paul, and you, you know you know you're going to have a good time. You can drink with him; he's not going to judge you. All this stuff. So, um, yeah, it was it was good. I enjoyed writing this a lot, actually.
1: And and um, you'll have to clear one thing up for me. I don't think he's a spoiler. It's an early, it's an early figure. It's a bit of detail. Is um, what's the, What's the significance of um, of of a, of a woman wearing a pair of duckers? <laughs> is this a judgment call you make a lot? <laughs>
2: Sorry. <laughs> it was originally Uggs in the script. Yeah. But we couldn't get Uggs. Um, so we changed, then we decided to invent some footwear, Good. a footwear brand. And I had recent. I discovered Ducker, which is that, um, it's, it's like a, a nut and spice. Uh, dip. You stick. You dip bread into hummus, and then you dip it into the. Ducker. This is the best
1: description I was I could ever have hoped for, Carry on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I was telling everybody about this ducker that I discovered in a restaurant in Newcastle, and so when we had to come up with a brand name for these uh, boots. We just, I said, Let, let's call them duckers, um, because it's it's a bit like Uggs. Duckers.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Um, so that's where, <laughs> that's where that came from.
1: Because it did tickle me those
2: boots are horrible as well you just know they cost 400 pounds and they're ugly we i mean the brilliant um costume designer ryan hooper he came up with a design he bought some very cheap boots and just you know bling them up and put the Ducker label on
1: now now it's it's not it's not a massive part of the film but it's worth it's worth pointing out given you wrote and directed it that you're also in it yeah how was how was directing yourself
2: well, that brings us on to the fact that the and how we got such a brilliant cast
0: mm. um,
2: was what we did. We um, we got the cast to direct or co-direct their own short story. Ah. Uh-huh. So um, I appear three in three of the shorts.
1: Oh, look, that's how bad my eyesight is. Uh- I, you, I, the, I saw you in the anyone I saw you or noted, so to say, was the ghost one, the the ghost hunter. One. Oh, yes.
2: Well, that's why I look most like myself, I yeah, suppose. Yeah,
1: yeah, your high five that you nearly got left hanging, I think.
2: I did. That was I, I actually had real trouble with that. I, um, Laura Fraser directed that, and I couldn't stop laughing. I was so delighted to be playing a ghost hunter, and the costume and everything, I just couldn't control my mirth. It was gorgeous. I loved it. But, yeah, I, I mean, when you see me look down, it's because I'm laughing.
1: Ah, right. So go on. Sorry, so you, you, you co-directed with, with, with your extended cast, as it were. Carry on.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was really, I like, I, I've been calling myself wingman really then co-director because yeah. um, I wanted them to take control. So, um, uh, we, when we sh- so when we were doing you know, during the shoot, we did the first three weeks on the lodge, on yeah. the main story. And then the, the final week, we split between the, the different tales. And so the actors were doing their directing. Mackenzie's story took one day um, because that's all very self-contained. Mm. Whereas the others were split over a few days. Um, and I was just there sort of by their side helping or pulling them back or making sure they stayed on the script, um, making sure there was, you know, just consistency control, really, for mm. because obviously, you know, I was more aware of the whole film as a, proje- a project. Yes. And, um, and I didn't, I had to stop them kind of going off the rails a bit occasionally. It was great though. Worked really well. So, you know, it was hard, but they, they all just, you know, a few of them were a bit unsure at first when we offered them, uh, offered it to them. But, um, once they would, once they had their director's headphones on, they were going. It was brilliant. It was brilliant to watch. The only person who didn't have a story to direct was Sophie Thompson, but I, but she ended up directing the scene where Martha (laughs) goes to the toilet. I thought that was quite fun to give her that to do.
1: Yeah, that is a good one. The the, uh, the 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 bit the bit I liked that, that sort of I guess if if you talk about the the sort of portmanteau horror anthology canon as a whole, I like I like something that I, th- I feel like you've added because I've not seen it before. Um, is is the very sort of meta side of it, which is whether it's meta, that's maybe the right, wrong word, yeah, but. It is so cool. There's definitely meta. Obviously, there's meta in all horrors, I guess. But it was more your breaking of the breaking of the fourth wall within your film. So the idea yeah. of us of somebody telling a story or seeing a story, but then the voices from so the so the story in the past or the story in the future, as Johnny Vegas's story was. Um, but the people in the present are still present in the moment. So you've got voices.
2: Yeah. And I yeah. thought it was
1: a really neat idea. I thought it was a really neat part of way of telling because it. it gave it that reality of well, yeah, if I'm telling you a story in a pub, yeah. you're not waiting for the beat. And I think there's one, I mean, there's one particular bit where Johnny Vegas is literally saying, I'm getting to that, I'm getting to that. Or, the, uh, or, or when Paul's telling his saying, I'm going, yeah, I'm getting to the door. And I'm like, that's quite funny, because yeah, you, have, you have the point in any story you're telling, no matter how mundane it is, where someone's going, get on with it. Yeah.
2: What is it? What is it?
1: Yeah. Um, and I, I thought it was really neat.
2: I just think um, I didn't want it to be slick. Mm. Uh, I wanted it to be realistic. And, you know, the way we tell stories as human beings, as you said, you know, we do forget things. We do um, have to go back or correct ourselves or, you know, we repeat while we're trying to think what the next thing is. It's, it's- and all, when people do ask you questions people talk over each other people say oh fill out the glass or um so yeah especially if you're in a group of old friends nobody's mm. standing there going oh he's telling a story we must all be quiet now and listen you know of course not um so and i like how they take the piss out of each other and you know all that stuff is good
1: yeah yeah so you so you brought you bring you bring the characters as we've seen them even yeah. to the story moments as well it's like they don't they don't leave just to be reverent for a story
2: yeah great yeah
1: and also you do the, the clever trick of not finishing stories exactly and then it continues into the present. I love that as well. There's a, I think there's one or two of them where, where what we see is, is the story. We see enough of it, obviously, to understand what's going on. But then there's that nagging thing as an audience and then a character goes, whispers, so, so what happened then? Because <laughs> I thought, again, it's, it's a really, sort of really nice detail. Um, and uh, in keeping with the, the duckers' detail, um, I'd like to add to the, uh, to the consensus that men don't like quiche.
2: Yeah, you don't. Uh, no. Yes, I knew it was right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. My husband doesn't like quiche. Doesn't appreciate a quiche.
1: I've no idea why this is. A, this is a trope in the in the in the in the gender, in the, gender, the battle of the <laughs> genders. But when you when it came up, it just tickled me because I thought, yeah, I have uh, my wife's come home from Sainsbury's <laughs> with a quiche, and I've gone, well, I'm not excited now, am I? <laughs>
2: That's brilliant. Oh, I love
1: a good quiche. I'm better at it now, but, uh, yeah, no, it's never, it's never, I mean, a scrambled egg I'll have, an omelette yeah. I'll have.
2: But you won't have it in a pastry case. Yeah,
1: put it in a pastry case. And I like pies. It's this, 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 <laughs> this really weird thing that goes on. But, yeah, no, good observation. I like it.
2: Oh, that's good. That's good.
1: Um, now, I said we'd avoid, we'd avoid spoilers, so let's not, uh, maybe I've given, I think I've given enough hints and stuff of styles and things, and I think it's a, a really clever, clever film. Uh, one thing that I think you're gonna you're gonna light the audience up with is choice of music, and in, in, there's the and there's obviously the one particular big hit that's in there. Uh, i made Maiden's um, number of the beast. Yeah, yeah. So talk us as a filmmaker. Talk us about how easy it was to get that in your film.
2: Well, we got lucky there because Richard Wiley, um, our producer, had. A contact and he pulled a few strings and got us that song um, that so outrageous. it was as simple as that he just said I think I can get you that
1: and that was that was your number one choice to-
2: that was in the script yeah it was brilliant. Awesome for years so that was amazing it was per- I mean I, yeah it's perfect we needed it so I had to write them a letter and I sent them the pages I sent them that story um, it the script scripted pages for that story yeah. and I wrote them- and said exactly why I needed that song and why I want, you know, it was perfect. And they said, yeah, you can have it, but can't use it in a trailer and you can't use it. Uh, no, just the trailer, I think. But yeah, so we got it. It was amazing. Amazing.
1: And that's uh, Nicholas Stevenson, isn't it? The
2: Nicholas Stevenson and Kevin Clerkin. Yeah, they um, have a fun sex scene.
1: It was more the fact that I never, I never thought I'd see Nicholas Stevenson of Brookside fame dancing in the kitchen to The Number of the Beast. These, these weren't <laughs> things I'd ever thought I'd ever join up as a... As, well, a, as a, as a as eventuality,
2: isn't that what filmmakers love doing? Putting <laughs> crazy, crazy things together.
1: Indeed, no. It was uh, it was very good. I uh, yeah, so I think I think I'm hoping I'm hoping that the uh, Fright Fest audience um, appreciates that for what for, for everything that it is. Uh, <laughs> and the 20th anniversary the idea that Iron Maiden's number of the Beasts is going to get played at the 20th 20th Fright Fest is uh, props oh, to you.
2: That's brilliant. Yeah, I haven't thought
1: of that. That's great. So also though. As I was looking through the song credits, because I was, and that knows it, uh, I see a name that I recognise.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I see yours.
2: Oh. <laughs>
1: you sound surprised. Surely you, put, you, you knew it on the credits.
2: <laughs> I forgot. Well, kind of, yeah, as a lyricist.
1: <laughs> yeah, for uh, yeah. Nothing Hurts So Much As You.
2: Oh. Who's hilarious. Bad Faith, then? That's hilarious. Um, Are they real? Is that a real band? Well, yes. Um, our composer, Warren Bennett, mm-hmm. um, he wrote the music for that. I, wrote the, I sent him some lyrics Yeah. and he wrote the music and then he got someone, and I should know who this is, to um, record it and play it um, and sing it. So I never met him, never met the guy who sang it, but he did a fantastic job. I love that song. It makes me laugh. Bad Faith. yeah. Um, I, I hate to say I don't know who that is, but thank you Bad Faith for your faith um yeah nothing hurts as much as you do that's over the end credits and yes. uh, cheesy hair rock i love it um yeah it's cheese no no good work
1: good work again uh it did make me laugh because i was like i was thinking well, i don't know these songs and i'm like looking through and I'm like, oh there's your name <laughs> i'd forgotten about Too that many strings to her bow
2: the thing is, when you're making films, you just do so much stuff. You're, you're always doing something. Um, you go, oh, I'll, fig- I'll sort that out, or we'll figure that out, or whatever. Oh, we need this, we need that. Oh, I'll quickly write some lyrics and send them to you. you know, that's, And you forget that, actually, when you look at the credits afterwards, you go, oh, yeah, I suppose I did write that.
1: But you see, I mean, this is the, the, the thing that I think writers are writers. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with um, Jeff Dean, who used to be the lead singer and songwriter in Modern Romance.
2: Oh.
1: He wrote huh? Kinky Boots the film.
2: Oh, did he? Oh yeah. wow.
1: And he's wrote tons of like Birds of the Feather and things like that. So and there's another guy I know called Damon Rockefeller He wrote um I Wanna Give You Devotion, the classic early nineties house track. And he's a lead writer on Corinth Street now. So Oh well. Wow. So I think there's you know, songwriting, script writing, it's all writing.
2: It is, exactly.
1: And uh, writing cheese I've tried to I've i I've, I've tried to write songs once and I ended up just writing that kind of soft rock ballads and thought, what what am I yeah.
2: doing well that's pretty much what that is I, I mean it's so hard I found it really incre- incredibly hard to write poetry or, or lyrics
1: yeah I've been posting on social media of late mad lyrics that I love
2: yeah um, we've got Tim Elsenberg um, from Sweet Billy Pilgrim to write the song Hero as well which is fantastic um, he's, he's a genius um, and Warren Bennett is just a brilliant composer so- he, he also did he also did my short Vintage Blood. Okay, but, but he's the son of Brian Bennett, I think, the ch- drummer from the Shadows. Is he? Yeah. Fantastic.
1: So, I mean, talk us through then that 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 collaboration. Then, when you're when when you when you're you sort of going to someone for music for your film, and they're not, and it's these are songs, aren't they? They're not. They're not. Uh, they're not scores. It's not mood. He
2: did it? a score as well. He did. This, he did yeah. everything. Okay. Um, but yeah, the songs we obviously had moments in the film where we wanted a, a big song. So yeah. Hero was the song over a fight scene. Mm. Um, sung by my friend, um, Steve Charlotte of was um, yeah, Good name, she, that. I,
1: noted, I noted that one, couldn't yeah. I? Where, where's it from?
2: Norwegian. Oh, all right, cool. Um, she and I were at drama school together. Yeah. And she got, in an incredible voice, and she's got her own studio, so we sent her um, the track, and she sang it and sent it back, and Yeah worked out really well. Uh, so that was great to get an old friend involved. I love that, I love being able to like, I know a talented singer and I want to use her. Um, so that's brilliant. Um, what was it? Uh, so Warren Bennett, how does that work? Well, yeah, so we knew we wanted that song. We wanted mm. sort of a hero song for that fight scene. We wanted some a big rock ballad for the credits. Um, so those were the two songs that we wrote specifically for the film. Yeah. Um, and then, and then there are some songs by Sweet Billy Pilgrim that we've used dotted through the film. Um, and then the rest is score. And so Warren and I just, we, we kind of went from Vintage Blood, which is our short, my short film that I made. Yeah. Um, he scored that. And I loved his work on that. So we just said, look, let's, more of the same, really. We, we we're harkening back to, or harking back to, um, things like Tales of the Unexpected, you know, British horror. Mm. Um, and that was kind of the, um, that was basic, that was the basic idea really. And uh, I think Warren knows what I like. And, uh, so we just kept talking back and forth and he'd send me bits. And, um, yeah, just, it took, it takes a long time, but we, we were working on it while I was in the edit, so. And he come into the edit and watch a rough cut. And yeah, just lots of communicating. Cool.
1: Now, uh, one one of the performances that was uh, that was stand out for me because it was it seemed it seemed such a fun part to play, and I imagine the Perry, uh, as you director and her the actor, must have had a lot of fun getting getting it getting it on the, getting it in the camera was uh, Laura Fraser's sort of um, attitude towards uh, Mickey, Nicky, Nicky, Mickey. Mickey, Mickey.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, throughout, from the, I mean, from the moment she walks in the room, um, and it's 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 brilliantly unwarranted, but mm. also excellently consistent. Great. Uh, you know what I mean? It's I mean, there's nothing, there's no, and even when, even when she's pulled up, which is what I liked about it most, it doesn't stop her, um, and it's not like it's she's looking for it. It's just that the minute Mickey opens her mouth, that's her chance. Yeah,
2: and, she just can
1: herself. So mm-hmm. what? So what was your? I mean. I'm guessing a lot was on the page, but how, in terms of directing that kind of character, what was your conversation like between you and, and Laura Fraser and, and Laura Fraser with you even?
2: I think I, I only really remember giving her one note about it, and that was just go go further. Yeah. Be meaner, and that she said, "Are you sure?" And I was like, "Yeah." Be a bitch. Just be be hard. And she has become hard over the years and I don't, I, I think she hates that about herself, but um, and she just can't help, you know, when you've prepared yourself and you look forward to something so much, she's looked forward to this weekend and she just wants to relax with her friends and then one of them brings his new girlfriend and she's like, no, now I have to be polite and have to ask her, you know, make conversation and have to, it's not all, it's not going to be in jokes and rudeness and, you know. <laughs> We can't relax.
1: What happens to us around 40 that just means, I don't want, to, I don't want new friends anymore?
2: Caring so much. Like, yeah, we've got enough friends. So I don't need another friend. My wife got her here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, look, let's remind people, when can they see Tales of the Lodge?
2: Um, they can see it at Frightfest on Monday the 26th of August, um, around 4pm, we believe, and then hopefully there'll be a release pretty quickly after that.
1: Fantastic news. Well, look thanks for giving us your time on the podcast
2: pleasure thank you
1: the BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free if you want to help me get the podcast out to more people please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or if you want to help me out directly there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page all contributions are welcome and the music is by Chris Reid of the composers tv <laughs>